Welcome to the seventh inning of the Baseball Rabbit Hole, the podcast where I ask a question of the internet and follow the rabbit holes that it takes me down. So now that we've made it to the seventh inning, it's time to take part in that grand old baseball tradition, the seventh inning stretch. As with all traditions in the apocryphal nature of the history of the game, this particular tradition is shrouded in myth. But hey, that's what we do here at the Baseball Rabbit Hole. So let's get going. Where did the seventh inning stretch begin? The most widely circulated story about the origin of the seventh inning stretch is linked to the origin of the ceremonial first pitch by a president. It happened in 1910 during a game between the Washington Senators and the Philadelphia Athletics. Ceremonial first pitches had been thrown out of the field or pitched since 1890 as a way to commemorate the start of a baseball season, but it wasn't until April 14, 1910, that a sitting president agreed to do it. William Howard Taft is most famous as the only U.S. president that went on to become a Supreme Court justice, but in baseball terms, he was famous for kicking off the 1910 season for the Senators. Taft went to the game and tossed out the ball from his front row seats. With the pomp and circumstance completed, he sat down to enjoy the game. There was really only one problem for the president. Taft was roughly double the size of a normal human being at 350-ish pounds, so he did not fit into the wooden seats quite as easily as the others did, since they were really not made for men of his size. In the middle of the seventh inning, after having sat for probably an hour or so because games were so much quicker then, he stood up to take a stretch. Seeing him stand up, the crowd around him also stood up as a sign of respect because they thought he might be leaving. Like a standing ovation, the rest of the crowd followed suit. And then when President Taft sat back down, so did the rest of the crowd. And that is the myth of how the seventh inning stretch got started. I hate to break it to you folks, but while that's a great story, the stretch had been around for a while. If anything, that might have been the first wave to ever happen at a ball game when everyone stood up and then sat down with the president. That seventh inning stretch story has legs because of the presidential tie-in, but there were earlier documented cases of people stretching way back in the 1800s. The most fun version is that a manager of one of the teams called a timeout in the seventh for everyone to get up and stretch because he wanted a bit more time for his reliever to warm up. There is really nothing to back this up, and I'm not all that sure that guys throwing slow tosses really needed any time to warm up. The story probably resides with the first professional baseball team, the Cincinnati Red Stockings. In 1869, the manager of the Red Stockings wrote in a letter that fans would stand up between the halves of the seventh inning to stretch their arms and legs. So it seems that it was in effect long before Taft. But Cincinnati might have stolen the idea from another ball club. So back in 1869, the Red Stockings were barnstormers and traveled around to play games all over. On a trip to San Francisco to play the Eagle Club, A reporter noted that the team had an extra-long intermission after the sixth inning 
which he called a dodge to advertise and have the crowd patronize the bar. And if anything reeks of the truth, it's the idea that somebody found a way to make some extra money by having a slightly longer intermission between innings at some point in the game. So when somebody tells you the story of Taft creating the stretch, you can hit him with the, well, actually, Taft invented the wave. The stretch was created because they wanted to sell more beers late in the game, not because a fat president had to stretch. Speaking of doing some advertising for the stretch, I'll be right back after this little bit of advertising. If you've been listening since the beginning of this podcast, you are probably tired of hearing me talk about my website, theindiepodreport.com. So this time, I'm going to ask you to do something different. Please rate and review the Baseball Rabbit Hole on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcasting situation you are using. It might help other people see it and give it a listen. So if you want to support things that I'm doing, give me a five-star review and check out theindiepodreport.com. If you don't want to give me a five-star review, please do not write a review. That is death for independent podcasts. Thanks anyway, though. And now back to the show. On the question of whether or not Taft really invented the wave, we can only push our big lie by repeating it constantly regardless of any real facts and hope it catches on. But right now, let's take a look at a tradition within a tradition. Take me out to the ball game. As we've learned, the seventh inning stretch was probably a money-making scheme to give people time to hit the bar at the ballpark. And until 1910, when President Taft tried to get the first wave started at National Park in Washington, D.C., there was nothing to do in the seats except for stretch and go to the bar. Going to the bar definitely caught on quickly, but the Taft wave didn't really catch on as a true stadium phenomenon until the 1980s. But by then, there was already a better and more established tradition of singing Take Me Out to the Ball Game, a song written in 1908, two years before the Taft wave was invented. Interestingly, the guys who wrote the song had never been to a ball game at all. Jack Norworth was riding a subway in New York and saw a sign that said, Baseball today at the Polo Grounds. And that's all he really needed. It sparked his imagination, and he wrote all the lyrics in about 15 minutes. This may seem about right for the song that we sing at the ballpark, but that is really only one chorus of the song. There are two other verses. If you have never heard the song, it is about Katie Casey, a woman who loved baseball and went to every game to cheer on the home team. So it was a bit more involved than just the quick song that we sing. Norworth took the lyrics to his partner, Albert Von Tilzer, who composed the music, and they had a hit song. In 1908, the song sat atop the charts for seven weeks. It was available in sheet music for the most part, but it was also printed on a wax cylinder by the Edison Recording Company, if you had the ability to listen to one of those. The song was popular on the vaudeville stages and even in movie theaters of the time. During film intermissions, when they were changing over the film reels, 
The house pianist would play the song as lantern slides portraying Katie Casey going to a ball game at the polo grounds were projected on the screen and the theater crowd would sing along. There was even another version of the song. In 1927, Norworth redid the song with new lyrics. The story was basically the same, but now, instead of Katie Casey, the woman's name was Nellie Kelly, and her boyfriend was given the name Joe, and he wanted to go to Coney Island. This version was most famous for being in the 1949 film Take Me Out to the Ball Game, starring Frank Sinatra, Esther Williams, and Gene Kelly. I have no idea why they chose to do this second version that nobody knows, rather than the super popular hit 1908 song. But I follow baseball rabbit holes, not movie rabbit holes, so I'll leave that for someone else. Despite the success of the song in vaudeville, movie theaters, and on parlor pianos across America, the first time on record that it actually appeared at a ball game was in 1934 at a high school game in Los Angeles, almost 30 years after it was created. Later that summer, the song was played by the St. Louis Cardinals band led by Pepper Martin on the field before Game 4 of the 1934 World Series between the St. Louis Cardinals and the Detroit Tigers. I'm sure the song was played countless times over the years as the teams employed bands to play music at games and especially with the introduction of the pipe organs at ballparks that started in 1941. That being said, it did not start to catch on as the staple of the seventh inning stretch until the mid-1970s when Harry Carey started singing it in Chicago. But that is a story that's coming up after the break. Independent podcasts are being pushed out of the podcasting world by corporate giants with tons of money and advertising and all of that stuff. Now, I really wish I had all that money and all that advertising, of course. So I'm not really going to like hate them for that. More power to them. But I want to make sure that people don't forget about your independent podcasts. You can go to IndiePodReport.com and find lists of podcasts that you may like. And if you really want to go the extra mile, a lot of them have Patreon or other ways to support them by buying things that they sell or whatever. So please don't let the independent podcast spirit and love for this medium go away just because we can't really afford to do it anymore. Thank you. And now back to the show. I told you that the tradition of singing during the seventh inning stretch started with Harry Carey in Chicago. But some of you might be surprised that it wasn't at Wrigley Field. Singing Take Me Out to the Ball Game actually began at Comiskey Park, the south side home of the Chicago White Sox, where Harry Carey worked for 11 seasons from 1971 to 1981. Harry would often sing the song in the booth during the seventh inning stretch just for fun. Others in the booth, as well as fans nearby, would sometimes join in. Bill Veck, maybe the greatest baseball mind in baseball promotion there has ever been, secretly placed a hot mic in the booth during the seventh inning stretch, which broadcast Harry singing throughout the stadium. <laughs> <laughs> 
Harry Carey had been unwilling to sing the song prior to that because he just wasn't a great singer. But Vec was able to convince him that if he could sing, it would embolden everyone in the stadium to sing, and the fans would love it. Harry finally agreed, and it worked out. White Sox fans began to look forward to singing with Harry every game, and the tradition was born. The practice of singing Take Me Out to the Ball Game during the stretch started spreading to some of the other ballparks as well. But it was Harry Carey's move to the north side of Chicago in 1982 that really solidified it. The Chicago Cubs, Harry's new team, had a cable deal with WGN, which transmitted Cubs baseball to most of the country. And WGN did not cut away when Harry was singing during the seventh inning stretch, and all of a sudden, Harry's voice was being broadcast into homes everywhere, every day. The Cubs were terrible most years, but WGN and Harry Carey singing Take Me Out to the Ball Game helped build their popularity even in the worst of years. Harry Carey died in 1998, but his influence lives on as almost every ballpark plays some version of Take Me Out to the Ball Game during the seventh inning stretch every game. But rarely is it more enthusiastic than it is at Wrigley Field, where even almost a quarter of a century later, they still honor Harry Carey by putting him up on the big video board and letting him lead the crowd in Take Me Out to the Ball Game from beyond the grave. Well, I think that's about it for this baseball rabbit hole. You're out! I'll be back in another couple weeks with the eighth inning of the baseball rabbit hole. And until then, keep rounding them bases. Now, for the box score. Yep, it's all me again. Michael Cotton edited, wrote, researched, mixed, did all the stuff for this podcast. And if you want to tell me how much you enjoyed it, you can always follow me on Twitter at at Indy Potterport.